Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This 80s flick sequel brings a blend of family chaos, outrageous escapades, and a sprinkle of British humor. Get ready to tag along with the Griswolds as they embark on a madcap European adventure where every tourist spot becomes a hilarious misadventure just waiting to happen. So grab your funky beret, power up your super cool electronic language translator, and don't forget to be a pig as Chris Adams, Chad Shepard, and I discuss National Lampoon's European Vacation from 1985 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. are going on a European vacation. Hey, Dad, look. Bedpans. But Europe wishes they would just go home. Mark, you're driving on the wrong side of the road. I'm also on the wrong side of the car. Don't miss the hit movie, National Lampoon's European Vacation. We're not normal people. We're the Griswolds. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome into the podcast. So excited. We're continuing our summer series, the Summer of Sequels. We're having a great time so far, and I'm super excited about today's episode. It's so good I had to have two co-hosts. Please welcome from Retro Life for You podcast, friend of the show. I've been on his show a couple of times. First time on this show. Glad to have him. Mr. Chris Adams. How you doing, Chris? 
Doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me on today, man. Been looking forward to it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then you know him, you love him. He's been on the show before, Mr. Chad Shepard. What's going on, Chad? What's going on? I, I can't get left. <laughs> I can't get left. Sorry. Look, kids. Big Ben. Big ben Parliament. 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 <laughs> oh, this movie is just packed with all those old dudes. Yeah. How many times? Yeah. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times that I've done that. And they have a lot of roundabouts here where we live, and I don't think about oh, yeah. it as much then. But like, I've been to like some downtown places where I've like been stuck in some kind of circle, or I can't get over, and I'll just yell, "Look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament," and nobody knows what I'm <laughs> talking about. But it's uh, that's a that's a fun one. So yeah, we're talking about National Lampoon's European Vacation, and the funny thing about this is the summer of sequels. This is the only vacation movie I have not talked about on the podcast already because we did the original vac- Vacation in my first season, and then we did Christmas Vacation. Uh, I think la- uh, two Christmases ago. Uh, so we finally get to do the vacation that most people don't want to talk about, but it's still a good one. It, it, it's, it's it's not the best of the three. I mean, I think we can all kind of agree on that, or most people agree on that, but it's still enjoyable, and I still had a good time with it. It's definitely not the worst. Vegas vacation holds up. Oh, well, yeah, I'm thinking about the ones set in the 80s. Yeah, True. I always forget True. about Vegas vacation. Another movie that I saw once, and I've never wanted to rewatch again, so the damn bit is probably the only part that's funny in that movie, but we won't go over that. Uh, Take all the damn pictures you want. Anyway. uh, So when did you guys see European vacation for the first time? I'll let uh, Chris go first. I do believe when it came out to the theaters, I was there watching it. Oh, wow. I'm not mistaken. Um, I, not too many that I was going to go to at that time, but uh, I, I kind of remember watching that early on. If, if it wasn't at the theaters, it had just hit VHS. Mm-hmm. Well, but mm-hmm. it feels like it was a theater movie that I've seen. Gotcha. Gotcha. What about you, Chad? I did not see it in theaters. My, I know my parents did. Okay. And I'll talk about when we get to the scene that they always talked about, always referenced. <laughs> I, my little story, my mom and my, her best friend went shopping uh, my mom's best friend lived in in uh, Gainesville Georgia mm-hmm. and I stayed with her uh, my mom's best friend's daughter's babysitters and they were like hey are you old enough to watch rated PG-13 movies and I said yes <laughs> <laughs> and never had, had not seen this movie and we this is the one this and like father like son were the two okay. movies we watched that that day and I vividly remember, remember that. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I see there's a lot of reasons why my parents wouldn't, didn't want me to watch this movie. But yeah, I, I did yeah. not see this one in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw it on video, probably like you, uh, Chris, shortly after it came out. Cause I remember I, I we talked about it on the vacation episode. I saw a TV version of vacation before I ever saw the theatrical version. So I know that I had seen it. So when you, but European vacation only came out like two years after. So I may have just seen vacation. And then when I saw that European vacation was coming out, I was like, Oh, and they may have shown it on TV when the new one was coming out. So that's probably why I saw it. I didn't go see it in the theater, but I remember I had friends of mine that had lived in Germany when I li- was living in Maryland, living on a military base. My best mm-hmm. friends had lived in Germany before they moved to Maryland. And this was one of their favorite movies because all the Europe stuff, like they, talked about you know some of that you know how funny that stuff was and i didn't really get the humor as much then 
as much as I do now, because I guess because I've I've lived a little bit longer and seen more of the world. So that that's when I saw it for the first time. But uh, how long has it been since you watched it before you're watching it for the podcast? I'll let Chad go first this time. I own like the box set of the VHS. Of, mm-hmm. At the time, it was just the three. It was just the three of them. Right. Uh, this was before Vegas vacation. And that was probably one of the last times I watched it. Gotcha. So it's been years. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about the worst vacation. Let's not forget the direct to video sequel, Christmas Vacation 2, that <laughs> I've that I've yet to see as well. But anyway, go ahead. With cousin Eddie. Yeah. What about yeah. you, Chris? When did how long has it been since you rewatched it? I, I attempted to rewatch it today unsuccessfully. Uh before <laughs> today, however, it's been several years. Um I don't I don't usually go too long without popping one of these vacation movies in. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's usually Christmas vacation. But right, um, right. Yeah. Same. I I think if I'm being honest about it, I've probably seen Christmas Vacation and the first Vacation before I've seen this one recently. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, there's so much about it that you can't help that just sticks with you though that mm-hmm. you remember. Yeah. And I I get that might be one reason why I don't watch it as often. I do like it, but mm-hmm. like you said, it's it's not the best one by far. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying with you, I, I've. I had I know I've watched Vacation and Chris I've seen Christmas Vacation more than any of them. I've seen the first Vacation several times. I've watched this one a few times, and honestly, I don't even remember the last time I watched it all the way through. I think I've seen bits and pieces of it, like if it's on TV with commercials or whatever, I'll watch a little bit of it. But even watching it today, I remember more of the beginning of the movie, like once it gets to the the thieves that are trying to hide the money and put them in the car, give them the money. Like the, the traveler's checks part. When I got to that part, I was like, I don't remember any of this. Like all this seems completely <laughs> new to me until it gets to like the very end. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this now. So I think probably when I rewatched it when I was younger, I must have watched the beginnings of it, but didn't finish it all the way through. But uh it's still it's still a lot of fun. I think the funniest parts are in the beginning though, for me. Yeah. I think yeah. it kind of it loses a little steam at the end, but the beginning is is really good. All right, well, let's jump into story origin and pre-production. There's not a whole lot to cover with this one being a sequel. Uh, some, you know, usually doesn't have a whole lot, and this one doesn't. This one really, I pulled this more from an article about Amy Heckerling, um, who we've talked about recently on the podcast, not the three of us, but uh, of course we've discussed a- Amy Heckerling on our director's episode of the 80s bonus episode, and then Nicholas and I just talked about her on the Fast Times at Ridgemont High episode a few weeks ago. That's kind of where we're going to, focusing on. So back in 85, Amy Heckerling was a highly esteemed comedy director in Hollywood. Despite the lack of appreciation for most critics at the time, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was an influential teen comedy of its era. On the other hand, her second film, Johnny Dangerously, didn't quite hit the marks with the critics. Heckerling had certainly earned her chance to direct a high-profile studio comedy, and Warner Brothers granted her that opportunity with this movie. This was the sequel to Harold Ramis's 1983 hit, and brought back the main cast from the original film. Herkeling must have been delighted to have John Hughes return, even as a co-writer, and Beverly D'Angelo back as Ellen Griswold. However, for Chevy Chase's return as the accident-prone patriarch Clark Griswold, Herkeling could only hope that he wasn't the difficult personality she had heard he was during his brief stint on Saturday Night Live. Chevy Chase, who rose to fame on the first season, was known for his anti-impersonation of Gerald Ford, and his position at the Weekend Update news desk. 
However, behind the scenes, he was verbally abusive to his co-stars and even got into a fist fight with Bill Murray when he returned to host the show in 1978. Additionally, he was struggling with addiction to painkillers, which made him an unpleasant person to be around while he was filming European Vacation. In a 2015 GQ interview, Heckerling spoke diplomatically about her difficult collaboration with Chase. She said, quote, it was not a marriage made in heaven. I was not very happy. It sort of inspired me to want to stay home and write. I couldn't go on the set unless I knew I had my I, unless I knew I had in my hand a physical ticket to New York so that I could just go at any time. I had to hold it in my hand so I knew that I had a way out. Pretty bad. Wow. I've done other Chevy Chase movies on the podcast as well. We've done Three Amigos, Fletch. I hear good and bad stories about Chevy Chase. So it's like sometimes I'm like I'm not sure which to believe because some people loved work with him, working with him and some thought he was a terror. So I don't know if it just doesn't get along with everybody and that's the problem or what you guys have any thoughts on the turmoil of behind the scenes of Chevy chase. I've heard the same thing as you've heard. I've heard he's very difficult to work with that. He's uh, kind of a smart aleck uh, to his co uh, co-stars and coworkers, people who are behind the camera doing work. Mm. That he's really hard to work with. Uh, I don't know if he's more hard on them or more hard on his co-stars, but I, I have heard he's a very hard person to work with. I've also heard, though, that depending on the movie he was in and the people he worked with, that he was hilarious, and they'd mm-hmm. work with him again in a heartbeat. So maybe it's just someone trying to be nice and saying, hey, I really want another job. Bring <laughs> me back in. Or maybe he really is just hit and miss. You know, you never can tell. Yeah, one of my favorite shows is was Community. Oh yeah, and and you know he was he was great on that. You know, I've seen so many videos of them talking about it that he just was just a pain to work with. So they mm-hmm. just eventually just got rid of him. That's unfortunate because he is he's a very funny man. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, he's by far one of my favorite comedic actors of the eighties. And yeah. so it kind of saddens me sometimes when I hear the horror stories about him. But like I said, then, you know, we talked about on the Christmas vacation episode that Galecki, I can't think of his first name, uh, that played Johnny Galecki, Johnny Galecki that played, you know, that played uh, Rusty in that version that he's like, you know, he he taught me a lot about comedy. He would help me with my timing. He, you know, nurtured me as a comedian, helped me, you know, mm. really helped me out a lot. And then Beverly D'Angelo, who plays Ellen, she's like. Every she's like she loved coming back to do the movies with him. She said, but by the end end of filming, I was glad to be away. So I think it's just he may just be like one of those personalities. Like it's you can take it in in doses, but maybe not all the time. But we'll talk more about it as we go. But that that's kind of the uh, springboard of how this movie came about. Of course, Vacation made a ton of movie. They wanted to make a sequel. So Ramus couldn't didn't return to, to direct because he was busy making a big movie called Ghostbusters. I mean. What a dumb idea that was for him to not do this one. I know. Uh, but so he didn't return. And so they were looking for somebody to fill that role. And so with the success she had had with Fast Times, and then even though uh, Johnny Dangerously did not do as well at the box office, it was still very funny and still you know, proved that Michael Keaton was a hilarious comedian. And it had a big cast. So they were, I mean, they put it in her hands. So. Uh, but a little bit about John Hughes, although he is credited as one of the writers, as well as for the characters, he was not involved with this film whatsoever. <laughs> In fact, wow. he had no idea they were coming out with a sequel until he saw a preview of it on television. The screenplay was written mostly by Robert Klein, with some input from director Amy Heckerling. But Klein was asked to incorporate unused elements 
from Hugh's script from the first film, resulting in Hughes being awarded a writing credit by the WGA Writers Guild of America. So, uh, so it, it was funny when I saw his name pop up at like it's written by and his name is top of the list. And I was like, Oh, I didn't think that he was as involved in this one. And then when I read that, I was like, Oh, well, they just, they stuck his name on there. So people were like, Oh, John Hughes is back in this one, but no, most people don't include this in one of the John, you know, quote unquote, John Hughes films that he wrote, uh, probably because he didn't have as much to do with the writing. Same with Christmas Vacation. He adapted some of it, but it wasn't, it was more of a collaborative effort on that one as well. Uh, I think I'd heard somebody else say that John Hughes, when you're talking about not having much to do with it, that he mm-hmm. didn't want to do a sequel at all. No, he didn't. Yeah. Um, that, in, you know, of course, including Christmas Vacation, like you mm-hmm. said. But uh, I don't, I'm, 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 I was trying to think to myself when you mentioned that, I was thinking, how many movies did he do sequels of? of all the ones he wrote. And I remembered a bunch of the, you know, the, the teenage movies mm-hmm. that he did. And I don't recall very, you know, if any sequels at all. So he didn't seem like a sequel kind of guy. No. So I, I guess I can understand him not being, not wanting to do it and getting upset about that. He did Which, home alone one and two. He wrote those two. That's the only one I can think of. Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I completely forgot yeah. about those. I, I, I was yeah. Was I was, Columbus. Yeah. I was thinking that I knew he wrote the first home alone. But I wasn't I wasn't 100 percent sure if he wrote the second one as well. But that makes sense. He was becoming more of a screenwriter at that point, not a director. So he might have felt like, eh, I can write a sequel for this. And because at that point, he'd already done Christmas Vacation, which, like we said, he really didn't want to do. But I think we did that episode. He did it because it was like they're going to make the movie anyway. So I might as well, you know, do something that if they're going to put my name on it, let me at least put have some input in it. But like I said, he was not the primary writer of that. I think they just used his Christmas of 59 National Lampoon story as like a basis for Mm -hmm. the characters and things of that nature. And now these messages. Welcome to the summer of Superman. Get ready for an electrifying journey through the iconic tale that shook the world of superheroes three decades ago. Moving Panels presents a special series dedicated to the monumental event that changed the course of comic book history, the death and return of Superman. Join us as we dive deep into the pages of one of the most impactful stories ever told, exploring the Man of Steel's ultimate sacrifice and his triumphant resurrection. But that's just the beginning. Experience the thrilling animated movies, The Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman that brought this epic story to life on the screen. In each episode, we will dissect every chapter, dissecting the emotions and going behind the scenes of this unforgettable saga and its animated counterparts. From the impact on Superman's friends and allies to the worldwide mourning that ensued, moving panels will leave no stone unturned, delivering a comprehensive exploration of this milestone in comic book history. So grab your cape and join us this summer for the Summer of Superman on Moving Panels, where we honor the 30th anniversary of the death and return of Superman, episode by episode, reliving the awe, the heartache, and the undying legacy of the man who inspired millions. Don't miss a single installment of this thrilling podcast event. Subscribe now to Moving Panels on your favorite podcast platform and be a part of the Summer of Superman. Hey everybody, do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? 
Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life for You. And here at Retro Life for You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, well, let's jump into casting. We're not going to talk about Chevy Chase. We've kind of talked about him already, but like I said, I've covered Chevy's career in other episodes go back and listen to fletch three amigos or either of the vacation movies we've talked about as well but of course he plays clark griswold uh again in this one and uh beverly d'angelo as well we've talked about her on the other two vacation episodes so i'm not gonna spend a lot of time with their filmography or do you guys want to mention anything about them like you weren't on those other episodes so i don't want to take anything away from you so anything you want to say about chevy or uh beverly d'angelo i'm a big beverly d'angelo fan <laughs> what other movies is she really known for really besides vacation though that you can I name off the top of your head i don't remember there's one i don't know the name of it but it, it just came to me she's like a like an older woman seducing a younger man i forget what the name of the movie is <laughs> i was yeah. gonna ask the it same was... question you just asked i was like what else has she been in i cannot place yeah. one movie personally yeah. i can't she was in something oh she was in the new like recently she was in the uh Violent Night. Yeah, IMDb okay. is only only the vacation movies. <laughs> yeah, but I know she was in Violent Night, the the recent you know Christmas action diehard type of movie where she was the family matriarch in that one. So she was pretty right. funny. So in that one, but, when yeah. it, when it comes to this movie, then talking about people that you know, Beverly D'Angelo, obviously mm-hmm. we're like, what else has she been in? Right. I I don't recall the daughter. And hardly anything else except maybe an episode of The Fall Guy that I watched recently. Um, <laughs> and yes, I all I watch is old stuff. So yes, I, yes. I happened to come across that recently. She was playing a stunt girl because she looked like because of her 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 stunted growth, she mm-hmm. could play the role of a younger person as a stunt double. Right. And right. and the one playing Rusty, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything else he's done. So I mean, it's like it's it's almost like the movie. The main stars are a lot of unknowns, but yet I see John Aston in there mm-hmm. as a game show host, which I know from plenty of other things. Right, right. Uh, then you see Robbie Coltrane pop up, which you know from other things, mm-hmm. and they get short parts. Right, right. Yeah, that that's still movie making. So, but yeah, well, let's talk about the uh, the other cast because they they were in other things that you'll probably not realize they were in. So, 
Uh, let, we'll go right down the list. So Dana Hill play was the new Audrey. She was uh, portrayed by Dana Barron in the previous film. So producer Maddie Simmons initially told Dara Barron, Dana, I'm sorry, Dana Barron, she would be returning for the role of Audrey. But after Anthony Michael Hall declined to reprise his role instead to star in Weird Science, Heckerling requested that both children be recast, which I think is kind of smart. She's like, well, if you're going to recast the kids, just go ahead and recast both of them instead of just one. And then, of course, that sets the trajectory for every vacation movie has a different set of kids and range in ages that don't match. So that's always the fun part of the movies. Dana Hill, despite diabetes ending a promising future in athletics when she was just 10 years old, she threw herself into acting when still in her early teen years, taking her mother's maiden name as her professional acting name. She found success early on with her performances in both Fallen Angel in 1981 and Shoot the Moon in 82, winning high praise from critics. I know those are both on your top 10 list. You've seen both of those movies already. Absolutely. (laughs) Complications from her diabetes set in and the consequent decline in her health meant that from the mid-1980s on, she turned to voiceover roles in animated movies and television programs such as Jetsons the Movie in 1990, Goof Troop in 1992, and Duckman in 1994. Unfortunately, in early 1996, her health grew increasingly fragile, and late that May, she slipped into a diabetic coma, and on June 5th, she suffered a paralytic stroke, and on July July 15th, she died peacefully in the hospital at the age of 32 years old. That's the only sad note we have on this episode, so we'll get through it quickly. Yeah, she didn't really do much of, you know, not a big role in anything that we know about, but I did know some of those animated movies she was a voice actress on. I just looked up Fallen Angel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember that movie. She, like, <laughs> gets, like, it's very, just very disturbing. This dude takes pictures of her and tells her to take her clothes off and whatever. Okay. Like, I, like, I remember that. <laughs> that's, oh, that's bad. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. It <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't she a goofy son? In the in the movie, I think so. I didn't write down which character she voiced, but yeah, I think I think she was Max. I think his name was mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It was Max and Goof Troop. All right, and then uh, Jason Lively as Russell Rusty Griswold. He started his career by appearing in the pilot episode of The Dukes of Hazard, and that is just for Chris Adams right there. No way. Yep, he was just ten years old. His first film appearance was four years later in the 1983 film Brainstorm. That same year, he also had another appearance in the Dukes of Hazard. His most recognizable roles came when he played Rusty in this movie, as well as Chris in The Night of the Creeps. After that, he appeared in the films Ghost Chase and Maximum Force. In 1993, he appeared in the video game Return of Zork, along with his sisters Robin Lively and Lori Lively. So he is part of the Lively family. Robin Lively, Blake Lively. So, yeah, I think we talked about uh, Robin Lively on our Best of Times episode. It did come up that her brother was Rusty in this movie. And I was like, ah, I never would have thought that. So, but yeah, when I saw he was part of Dukes of Hazard, I was like, oh, man, this is so perfect because Chris is going to be on the show. You, if you know, don't... I got to go back and look now. I gotta right, go back exactly. <laughs> I, saw you... I, I have this on Voodoo. I got to go back and look later when we're done with it. <laughs> I want to know who he was. I don't, rec- of course, I don't, I'm not going to recognize him probably. Yeah, when he was 10 and he probably right. was, he could have been like just a, 
person in the background or just some, you know, a one line character. But and I was about to ask you about the name Lively when you said Lively. It never, mm-hmm. it never stuck with me when I read his name earlier on the credits. I was yep. like, okay, when you yep. said it, though, I was like, wait, Lively. I wonder, and then you just spat it right out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool though. That's a cool note. Yeah. So for those that that aren't as familiar with Chris's show, he is a huge Dukes of Hazard fan. So just just so you know that, and uh, rightly so because it was a great show of the of the eighties. I miss the the reruns. Uh, all right, so we talked about the 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 main family, and so I ask a question. You weren't prompted for this ahead of time, so we'll see how it goes. We'll just do the three from the eighties of the three incarnations of the Griswold family. Who is your favorite Audrey and who is your favorite Rusty? I'll give you a second to think about it. I, I like Anthony Michael Hall's Rusty. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I forget who it was. I, I can see her face in Christmas Vacation. Uh, that's I, um, Julia Lewis. Julia Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. Lewis. I couldn't yeah. get her name out. Yes. Yeah. That was my favorite Audrey. Okay. What about you, Chad? Uh, my favorite Audrey is Dana uh, Barron, the first one. Mm-hmm. I liked her a lot. And my favorite, Rusty. Oh, Anthony Michael Hall is good. But I also like Johnny Galecki. Yeah. Probably, but probably more Anthony Michael Hall because, yeah. So I guess the, the first the first movie, kids are. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to beat Anthony Michael Hall. I think I think of the, yeah. of the three, uh, Galecki is a close second. But I think because he was the younger sibling, the dynamic was just so different in that one with, Audrey actually being older. You know, it's funny about in the first one, Audrey is supposed to be older in the first vacation, but because of when they filmed it, Anthony Michael Hall had a growth spurt over the summer because at the end of the movie, he was actually taller. They changed some of the dialogue at the end to make it seem like he was older, even though it's never specified in the movie, which one is older and which one is younger. And like there was some like there was some, you know, back before the Internet and people didn't really know there was some buzz that they were actually twins. And that's why you didn't know which one was older or younger, you know, urban myths. But as far as Audrey, I, I like I like this version of Audrey in this one. And I think it's because her whole thing of being obsessed with Jack. I just miss Jack. I miss Jack. Like that whole thing was really <laughs> funny to me. But that's really that's all her character is, which is kind of boring. So it's kind of a toss up between Dana Barron from the first one. But I may be with Chris on this one. I think Julia Lewis might be the better Audrey. But I think maybe she had more to do in Chris's vacation than the other one. So those are those are my thoughts. But I thought that would be fun to talk about. Since, we, since we've covered all three now, it was nice to know which one would be your favorite. What you got, Chad? Yeah, I, I know you didn't want to talk about Vegas because it's not 80s. But right. the, the, the two, the, the Rusty and Audrey, they seemed more like twins in that one. Okay. Now that you said that they're, mm-hmm. to me, yeah. they were more like the same age. Gotcha. Instead of the fighting on who's older and who's younger. I couldn't tell you who played the siblings <laughs> in Vegas Vacation. If they were in a police lineup, uh, I couldn't pick them out. Rusty was Ethan Embry from uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Okay. And I think I remember that. Who other, played, who played Audrey? I don't know. Okay. I don't know who she is. I remember Ethan Embry because of that very same thing you said can't hardly wait. That's why I remember <laughs> Audrey. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah. And Johnny Galecki. Uh, yeah, you talked about him. Uh, the reason why I I wouldn't have picked him for the best one is because every time I see him, I only think of Big Bang. Leonard. Yeah, yes, Bang exactly. Theory. He it's it's, it's ingrained <laughs> yeah. in my mind now. Oh, for he's sure. From Big Bang Theory, and yeah. even though he did, you know, David on Roseanne, Roseanne. I think it was David. Yeah. 
And then, of course, that. Uh, I mean, it's just in my mind that he's he's forever Leonard at this point. Mm-hmm. That's that's definitely become his most iconic role for sure. And he was also in Prancer, I think, the same year that Christmas Vacation came out. So little, I think he was. He's one of just one of the students in the class. Yeah, yeah. A little mm. another nugget for your trivia cap. So, mm. all right, moving right along, we'll talk about these. I don't, there was a lot of people in the movie, but not main characters in the movie. But I did want to talk about a few that had either we would recognize by name or people that had a cool background. So, but Chris had mentioned yeah. earlier, of course, Mr. John Aston uh, as Kent Winkdale, the host of Pig in a Poke, Pig in a Poke, Pig in a Poke. Anyway, so he first got noticed in a small role in West Side Story, then appeared in several other films before being cast as Gomez Adams. Adams' family was initially a huge hit. Its popularity petered out after two seasons, and Aston moved on to other work, including the offbeat funny, I'm sorry, offbeat Bunny O'Hare in 1971, playing a grizzled but not particularly bright gunfighter in the Western spoof Evil Roy Slade in 1972, and he even had an appearance in the Disney comedy Freaky Friday, the first one in 1976. They made like... There's been like three other remakes of that since then. But John Aston, of course, is the uh, the grandfather of Sean Aston. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. dad. No, father. It is, it is dad. dad. Okay. Father. That's why I was like, I was like, it's not grandfather. Is it? Yeah. Dad of John, uh, Sean Aston. So anytime I can work a Goonie into a podcast, I do it. <laughs> yeah, you on that one. I got it. <laughs> John Aston, though, do you know something that's uh, fun with John Aston in it in the later 80s? Go for it. He was Buddy on Night Court. That's right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I totally forget. Yes. He was great on Night Court. Yep. Buddy. I remember that. I rewatched a lot of uh Night Court last year. It was available on one of the streaming uh, uh, Prime. Prime, yes. Yep. Yeah, so. I watched it too, is how I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was so creepy. Kissing oh, kissing, yeah. kissing Audrey. Audrey. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, first he kissed he kissed Ellen. Right. And then uh Rusty. Hello. Oh yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> Right. I was like, oh, so weird. I had this I had this in the trivia, but since we're there right now, so the Pig in a Poke game show, Kent Winkdale, John Aston, is a parody of two real life game show hosts. I know one of them. Wink Martindale. <laughs> he was a host of the seventies and eighties, and most notably from the Tic Tac Doe from nineteen seventy eight. Mm-hmm. And the other person, because of the kissing, Richard mm-hmm. Dawson. That's the one <laughs> Family Feud. Yep. So uh I love that when he when he was started kissing, I was like, "That's I mean, especially when that came out because those reruns, I mean, those that was still very popular at that time. If you really want to be grossed out, uh, go on YouTube and and just pull up Richard Dawson kissing contestants on Family Feud, and there's like ten minute videos mm-hmm. of just nothing but him kissing every woman on the lips. I don't want that in my algorithm, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'll I'll take your word for it. There's YouTube officials that are going, uh-huh. Right. Let's see how this guy is. All right. 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 And it's funny. Something we never would have said in the 80s, but we say now. This is totally before COVID because we won't be doing that now. But anyway, mm-hmm. and the Me Too movement. But moving on. Uh, so then the next person <laughs> we have is not a name that I recognized, but I saw this in the trivia, so I had to bring it up. Paul Bartell as Mr. Froger, the patriarch of the Froger family that competed against the Griswolds in Pig and a Poke. Anybody recognize that name before I get into it? Oh, no. Okay. I'm gonna hate myself probably when you say it. No, though. I mean it's it's a little it it's a little fringe. It's it's not like a mainstream thing, but he was an American actor, writer, and director. He's perhaps oh. best known for his 1982 hit black comedy 
Eating Raul, which he co-wrote, starred in, and directed. He appeared in over 90 movies and TV episodes, including things like Eat My Dust in 76, Hollywood Boulevard in 70, also in 76, Rock and Roll High School in 79, Get Crazy in 83, Chopping Mall in 86, and of course, <laughs> Amazon Women on the Moon from 1987. <laughs> he also directed 11 low-budget films, many of which he also acted in or wrote. He started in 1968 with the short The Secret Cinema, a paranoid delusional fantasy of self-referential, self-referential cinema. I can speak today. He graduated to features in 1972 with the horror comedy Private Parts. He would go on to direct such cult films as Death Race 2075. We said oh. Eating Raul, Lust in the Dust in 85, and Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills in 1989. But yeah. So when he popped up on the movie, I was thinking... I was like, that guy looks like a director. And I don't know if I was thinking like, I knew it wasn't like John Landis or, you know, like John Landis and Frank Oz like to show up in each other's movies all all the time. But I knew he looked like an 80s director. So when I saw that, I thought that was hilarious. So anything from his filmography that you guys are big fans of? Or have you seen any of those movies? Eating Raul. You have seen that one? Okay. I recognize the title, but I've never seen it. You watch a lot of weird movies, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) The only only one I heard of was Chopping Mall. Yeah, Chopping Mall. I, I, I have seen Chopping Mall years ago. I saw that too. Yeah. Probably last year. I watched the first half of it last year. Yeah. Again, I didn't get to finish it, but I remember starting it again. It's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, Rock and Roll High School shows up a lot on like Crackle and Tubi. And when you're looking for like 70s and 80s movies, I've never watched it, but it pops up a lot. Um, I have seen Amazon Women on the Moon. That's like a m- multiple um, directors doing like comedy bits. A lot of actors that became more popular later uh are in it so it's pretty funny it's got some it's got funny bits it's kind of like watching an episode of saturday night live you're gonna there's some things are really funny and some things aren't so you just kind of have to make your way through it but i think i've seen death race 2000 a long time ago but that those are the ones that i recognized so but worth mentioning for sure that Uh, has uh keith carradine and sylvester stallone i think what's that death race 2000 oh yeah is Sylvester Roger, Stallone? Roger Corman. Roger Corman. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think you're right. I was like, maybe that's why I watched it. Cause I was like, I want to see young, young Slash Stallone. So, yeah. All right. Moving on to a name that we all know from this podcast, Mr. William Zabka as Jack, Audrey's <laughs> boyfriend. Sweep the leg. There you go. His breakout role was in Karate Kid in 84. He played Johnny Lawrence. He had no training in karate at the time, but was an accomplished wrestler. His participation in the film inspired him to learn the martial art of Tang Sodu, and he later earned a second-degree green belt. Of course, during the 80s, he appeared in the comedy movies Just One of the Guys in 85, Back to School in 86. He also co-starred on the CBS television series The Equalizer as the son of the title character, which I did not know that until just now. He later tried to step away from playing the class bully character. He mentioned in an interview how he was sometimes hassled in public by random people because of the villainous characters he was best known for. And I can see that. Good old Billy Zapka. It's fun to watch. It's such a throwaway role because it's only in the beginning. And a little voiceover at the end when he wrote Audrey the letter that he was breaking up with her, which is pretty funny. The long distance phone call got me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'm just going to say hello. I'm just going to say hello and goodbye. Oh, you you, you got to go eat? Okay, I'll hold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize she was put on hold. I just yeah. thought she just called him. No, I was that's... like, I was wondering why the phone call was so expensive. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's like I'll wait for you to get back. Uh the days of long distance bills. <laughs> I remember them well. My long distance relationships. Anyway, another story for another podcast, but not this one. All right, moving along. We talked about these before the podcast. We started recording, but Mr. Mel Smith as London Hotel Manager. He's an English comedian and actor and filmmaker. He worked on the sketch comedy shows Not the Nine O'Clock News and Alice Smith and Jones with his comedy partner Griff Rise Jones. Smith and Jones founded Talkback, which grew to be one of the United Kingdom's largest producers of television comedy and light entertainment programming. But yeah, I recognized I recognized him as a character from the movie, but I I mean I'm not a I'm not as big on like the British comedy stuff. But I recognized him as being like a character that I'd seen in some other British comedy stuff. If it's not Benny Hill, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> or Monty Python. Monty Python. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there. Tried to class it up a little bit. Yeah. That's <laughs> just, coming up. Just a little. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Coming up. Chris mentioned it before. Robbie Coltrane as the man in the bathroom. That's his official title in the movie. Uh, in 1980, Coltrane made his debut on television as Border Guard in BBC's miniseries The Lost Tribe in 1980 then made his big screen debut as a limousine driver in Death Watch. In 1981, he appeared in his first leading role as Detective Fritz Langley in Subway Riders. He made such a good performance as Valentin Zukovsky, a KGB man turned St. Petersburg Mafia Lord in 1995's Golden Eye. The producers called him back for the same character in the James Bond movie The World Is Not Enough in 1999. Then Coltrane hit another lucrative franchise. He was personally selected by J.K. Rowling, I'm sorry, J.K. Rowling as her choice to play half giant Hagrid, 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 I can't Hagrid, Hagrid, Hagrid in the Harry Potter in the Harry Potter films. I cannot talk today. Good lord. Uh, <laughs> but funny note: Rowan Atkinson, also known as Mr. Bean, was actually considered for the role of the hotel manager. The role went to his nine o'clock news co-star instead, and actually put that in the wrong with the wrong person. So instead of Mel Smith. <laughs> So I put him under Robbie Coltrane. My bad. But anyway, the fact still works. But yeah, we were talking about before we started reading, before we started recording, that when Robbie Coltrane came into the bathroom, I was like, I know that guy. I know that guy. Where do I know that guy? I know that guy. <laughs> and so <laughs> eventually I got it with Robbie Coltrane. And then, of course, you know, Hagrid from Harry Potter is probably what he's most known for. But he did Nuns on the Run, I think Chris mentioned before we started recording. Nun, yeah, Nuns on the Run. Yeah. I think if... Uh... If the first thing you ever seen him in was Harry Potter, then you wouldn't recognize him. Oh yeah, anything else? Yeah, you yeah. just wouldn't know him. Because mm-hmm. I brought yeah. it up to several people before about some of the things he had done you know, previous to Harry Potter, and they're like, "I never heard of it." Right? Like, Seriously? <laughs> right? Never heard of it. Nuns on the Run? Never heard of Nuns on the Run? Right? The nuns <laughs> on the Run. Like, yeah, nope. the the plot is in the title. There's nothing exactly. else you need to know. Exactly. That's where Eric Idle too, wasn't it? Exactly. Yep. yep. Okay. Speaking of Eric Idle, he's next on the list as the bike rider. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Eric Idle was a member of the British surreal comedy group Monty Python and the parody rock band The Rudels. He reached stardom when he co-created and acted in the sketch series Monty Python's Flying Circus from 1969 to 1974. And of course, the films Monty Python and the Holy Grail in 75, Life of Brian in 79, and The Meaning of Life in 1983 with his friends John Cleese, Michael Palin, Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, and Graham Chapman. And let's not forget, he co-starred in Nuns on the Run with Robbie Coltrane, Coltrane. as well. Eric Idle is great. 
it's just a flesh wound. Yeah. Which Blood of course, squirting everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. of course was a nod to you know a, one of his famous characters in one of Monty Python uh, movies. I honestly, I've only seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I've never watched any of the other Monty Python movies. Are you guys? I haven't either. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I have. Uh, yes. Life of Brian is good, but kind of if you're if you're uh, Christian, religious, it's mm-hmm. kind of a little sacrilegious. It's it's, it's, it's kind of sacrilegious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm just saying blasphemous, but that's that wasn't the right word. Right. Sacrilegious is the best better word. There you go. And and there's videos about them talking about it. You know, explaining why they made the jokes the way they did. Gotcha. Uh, Meaning of life is so weird. It's yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but I've seen all of them. Mm-hmm. I've seen most episodes of the uh, Flying Circus, their show. Okay. Um, yeah, I know bits from different ones, but I've, I've, I think, and I was kind of forced to watch uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail from friends of mine that were big fans of theirs, and I, I laughed at some stuff, but it wasn't British humor has never been like one of my favorites i i appreciate it i appreciate it for what it is but it's not not my cup of tea if i can say that (laughs) tea nor nor crumpets there you go there you go and no offense to my british fans anything to add chris if it wasn't benny hill i didn't watch it (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) i guess all i got for british humor so no i actually my father used to watch it and i wasn't supposed to watch it and I remember getting busted one night when I, I would sneak out of my room down the hallway and watch it through the other side of the couch, like leaning around like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this one where it looks like he is, you know, he was all, he always had women around him, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they were always, well, we'll say scantily clad or something. They were that, in their, their right. underwear, bras and panties and stuff. Right. Um, there was this one where it looks like it's panning out and it looks like you see just a woman's chest in her bra. Because it looks like cleavage or something, mm-hmm. and when it pans the rest of the way out, it's a dressmaker's dummy, and the bra is on the butt. <laughs> and when he flips it around, it's because one of the breasts had been chopped off or something. And I died laughing out loud. My dad <laughs> caught me watching it, <laughs> busted completely, got in trouble for a while there. But right, yeah. Uh, the only other thing I was ever, and I'm gonna say I was forced to watch it because I didn't care for it. Uh, when I was married, my wife liked to watch Absolutely Fabulous. Oh yeah, I remember that mm-hmm. show. Ab Fab, she'd call yep. it. And I never really yep. got into that at all. So they they ran that on Comedy Central back in the mm-hmm. day, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't. A, I think I tried to watch that because it was always on, and I couldn't couldn't get into it either. So. I couldn't get the humor very much. It wasn't for me. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch Mighty Python, Benny Hill all day long. But yeah, that, uh, absolutely fabulous. Was, I was lost. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, last on the list that we're going to cover, Moon Unit Zappa as Rusty's California girlfriend. Zappa first came to public attention in 1982 at the age of 14 when she appeared on her father's hit single, Valley Girl. The song featured Moon's monologue in quote-unquote valley speak, slang terms popular with teenage girls in the San Fernando Valley, Los Angeles. We all know about that now. Valley Girl was Frank Zappa's biggest hit in the United States and popularized phrases from the lyrics such as grody to the max and gag me with a spoon. (laughs) Gotta say it with that kind of accent. Just doesn't work if you don't. (laughs) In the mid 80s, Zappa and her brother Dweezil were frequent guest VJs on MTV. That's probably what I remembered her most from. Yeah. Uh, As a teenager, she acted in the television series Chips, The Facts of Life and the film Nightmares. 
While still 18, she was a technical consultant and appeared on several episodes of Fast Times, the TV spinoff of Fast Times Ridgemont High. As an adult, she has worked as a stand-up comic, magazine writer, and actress, appearing in films like The Spirit of 76 and television sitcom The Normal Life and the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Beverly D'Angelo was actually good friends with Frank Zappa and his family, which is most likely how she got the role of the girl Rusty meets in Italy. And that rounds out the cast. Anybody I might have missed that you guys noticed or wanted to talk about? Is it uncredited? He was uncredited, but I recognized his voice as soon as I heard it. Oh, yeah. The pick and a poke announcer right. was legendary Gary Owen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from Laugh-In and all kinds of TV shows. Yeah, TV shows. Famous announcer. So, there you go. Yeah. Yep. I did see his name there for sure. I was surprised to remember Robbie Coltrane in it, like I said earlier, and mm-hmm. that was the one that just kind of popped out to me, but we already talked about and covered him and everything, so... Uh, that's that's all I got on that. All right. Well, let's jump into iconic scenes, favorite scenes. If we were to say iconic scenes for this one, because I think there might be might be one. So if someone said National Lampoon's European Vacation, what's the first scene that pops into your head? Big Ben. <laughs> yeah. The roundabout. The always. roundabout. It's is... always the roundabout. Right. Right. Always the first thing comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Chad, what about you? It would have to be. Uh, it's it's got to be uh, Eric Idle. Getting oh, hit by the, the car. And, yeah. No, it's it's nothing. It's just a flesh wound, you mm-hmm. know. And like 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 Chris said, like he's he pointing to directions and he's pointing <laughs> down the road in the blood. You know, right. Right. Yeah. That's funny stuff. Oh yeah, I think Big Ben is probably the one that sticks out to me the most. Yeah. And then the other scene that pops in my head, which is just like the it's the. Uh, their fantasy scenes where they're flying in on the on the plane and Clark, you know, the hills are alive with the sound of Griswold. Like that still <laughs> I, I hear that in my head. And he actually they actually filmed that on the exact same hill that they filmed Sound of Music on, which I thought was pretty hilarious. That's um, cool. So uh, so yeah, that that that's good. But what about favorite scenes? So we'll kind of do a roundabout on this one. I'll let Chad go first. I told you my my parents had saw this movie and mm-hmm. like for years all they would talk about was when they were in the Griswolds were in Germany mm-hmm. and went to the people's house yeah. and stayed with them <laughs> and talked to them right spent right. the night at their house and then they're leaving and they're like who are those people like, I don't know <laughs> right right my parents loved that that like yeah and they laughed <laughs> love mm-hmm. that scene so. That is a funny, yeah, because they were looking yeah. for the n- number six, and the bushes was hi- was hiding the one. So when they once they actually got inside, right. they were at house sixteen instead of six. Which, but it's so funny because yeah, you go to another country that you don't speak the language, and you just start talking like you know them, and they can't, you know, they <laughs> nobody's communicating, but they're just nice enough to let them stay there. And then, of course, the funny scene when uh, Clark doesn't know what the bedpan is, and he like the <laughs> ceramic bedpan, and he starts brushing his teeth, and then Rusty comes in and is like. <laughs> Look, they have bedpans, and he spits out the the toothpaste and stuff like that. That still makes him laugh. That's a great scene. What do you got, Chris? Something that I, I'm a very big fan of this of the subtle, stupid humor. Mm-hmm. And when they're on the plane flying over, mm-hmm. uh, before they start having their dream sequences, you know, right? The stewardess comes up and asks him oh. and uh, the wife, "Would you like something to drink?" And she's like, "No." And he goes, "She goes, sir, would you like a coke?" He says. Yes, please. And she's like, would you like it in the can? And he looks back like this and goes, 
No, I'll just drink it right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Me. Yep. How's it going? This this I watched it yesterday, mm-hmm. and there was a joke that I had not. I've never heard of it. I never heard it. They're driving. They're driving. Uh, it's it after the Big Ben Parliament. They're driving, and they're, oh look, there's Buckingham Palace, and like that's where the Queen lives. And she's like, well, well, what does she do? And Clark says, well. She queens and vacuums. <laughs> that got me. I was like, "Oh, that's funny." Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I went, I went in the room and told my wife that joke, and she like, "No, oh, you're dumb." <laughs> I thought it was funny. Yeah. How was the couch? <laughs> A little lumpy. A little lumpy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the exact joke, but like when they're driving through the countryside and they stop. And he's looking at the old farmhouses and he's like, look, kids, this is where and your ancestors grew up and da da da. And he's like, we're f- isn't grandma from Chicago? Yeah. Shut up, Rusty. Shut up, Rusty. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's always that good, that, you know, the good dig to Rusty in, in the movie. So, uh, and there was at least, there was at least one, uh, where he's like, Russ. And he's mm-hmm. like standing right next to him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 They definitely did some of the repeated jokes from the first one. Not as many. You know, for a sequel, they didn't rehash too much stuff, which I thought was good. But there were some of those little bits that that still were consistent, which I thought was was good. I think the pig in a poke game show. I I love that the movie opens with that. Like, I just think that was so funny because being a big game show fan, uh, anything that parodies a game show is always funny to me. And then be a pig, be a pig. It's like, you know, look, we've already I want the motorcycle, like all the things are going to do. He's like, we've all we've all decided they've all told him. You know, don't do it. Don't be a pig. It's like we've all we've all decided. No, you've decided. You know, it's like oink oink. You're gonna be a pig. You know. So, uh, and then the outfits, which I think Chevy Chase is that he still has his pig in a poke outfit uh, oh. in storage somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but I love that. Did we you notice the uh, throwback to uh, Family Feud? With I know a lot of it goes back to Family Feud, right, right, up, right, right. But what the point in particular I'm thinking of is the guy for the Frogers, wasn't mm-hmm. it the name? Yeah. So the you see all the all the subjects being brought about, right? And they're yeah, all like, yeah. "Oh my God, these the Griswolds never get any of these." Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the woman's like, "Take Hungarian cooking. Nobody knows Hungarian stuff." And, <laughs> right. and he says, "Uh, okay, we'll take something about something about the brain." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he completely ignores what she wants, and mm-hmm. then he comes back to him again, and she's like, "Hungarian cooking, Hungarian cooking." <laughs> and then he goes and picks one completely different again. It right. just reminds me of the old family few stuff where the fam- the people they've got done huddling up and mm-hmm. they're spitting their answers out from down the line. Hey, right. This, 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 and the father will go completely different. Right. On right. his own because yeah. he knows mm-hmm. best. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's just a throwback completely to family feud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happens. That happens a lot, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you don't know, uh, Chad actually is a. <laughs> professional audience member on family feud the films here in atlanta so these oh. uh, he, he knows family feud well better than all of us i'm sure <laughs> yeah um, he says oh <laughs> well, you gotta clap there yes. you go good there answer you go. he's good a answer. Yeah, you oh, good Tim. answer, Maybe, answer Tim. If it, that's it if the answer is not there you have to go oh like oh it's so bad oh. but then you clap because you have to tell them they're not idiots <laughs> that's, that's what they tell us yeah so would you say you're a professional clapper or professional audience member? I do both. Yeah, it's a lot of cl- a lot of clapping. Is there like a yeah. clapping audition for that? You know, let me hear, let me hear you clap. I want to hear you clap. You have a no. good clap. 
So, so is your favorite no, part? Is your favorite part clapping or reading off the answers? Because I like to read off the, the answers. Everybody yeah. in the crowd yeah. reads off the answers. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Well, they say, well, that's they tell you to, and they say, yeah. do not say if it says dash, don't say dash. Just say the two <laughs> words. Yeah. And you have to say it yeah. in unison. That takes a lot of practice. Yeah. I sat next to a guy who could not clap on rhythm. Because during, during when they play the Family Feud song, you have to play clap right. on the two and the four. Right. This guy was clapping on one, two, three, and four. He was just like, oh, my gosh. That's it hilarious. Was, sorry. No, you're good. Coming soon. Chad's going to have his – I'm a Family Feud ca- uh, audience member podcast. Podcast. So there you go. Tell all, all, the, all the stories behind the scenes. I'm sure he signed an NDA. He can't do that, but it would be fun if he did. Uh, no. So we talked <laughs> – <laughs> and he's going to call it survey says there you dot, go dot dot but there don't you say go. the dots <laughs> oh yeah there you go there you go okay all right so i uh, talked about pig in a poke talked about big ben in parliament one of my other favorite scenes is clark getting lost in the hotel while ellen's taking a bath and the mix-up which of course was robbie coltrane in that scene which i think is funny I, and it's funny when she's talking to the guy in the bathroom but I love it when Clark goes in the wrong room and he gets in the bed and he's like, honey, when did you stop shaving your legs? And and then he, he's trying to, he's trying to get out. She's like, he's like, can you let go of my leg? And she's like, no, you know, she's like, no, no. Uh, which I thought that, that scene always makes me laugh like that. That's just hilarious. Uh, all right. Who's got another favorite scene? Uh, Rusty oh. on the Eiffel Tower. Rusty on the Eiffel Tower, yeah. Or he's yeah. tired of the hat. He, f- he figures that the girls are laughing at him because mm-hmm. of the hat. The beret, yeah. The beret. And he goes mm-hmm. and he throws it off. And what happens after he throws it off? The dog the jumps dog. after him. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I am I am glad that they do show like the the wide shot of the dog falling and catching the beret in the air was yeah. a nice touch. And then of course it landing in the water not dying was a good a good choice by the director as well. But uh but yeah, Probably that scene is than- funny. Probably better than the previous movie where it was on the leash tied behind the car. Exactly. The yeah, like, oh, yeah. Like, we killed a dog in the first movie. We can't do it in the sequel. Yeah. yeah that was probably somewhere in a meeting. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Chad? You had another favorite scene? I enjoyed the France. They're going to the uh, the culture show. That was interesting. <laughs> about yeah. Rusty being being Rusty being there with, with the with the hooker. Right, right. And then and then when they're coming in, it's one of, another favorite line. Dad, I'm just he said, "When in Rome, do as Romans do." He said, "Well, this is not Rome; this is Paris." Right? Yeah. You're drunk. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is funny. That is a funny scene. I like because he's the physical comedy too. Of course, Chevy Chase. He's got his arm around Ellen's neck, and then he's trying to clap with her head still in his yeah. arm, and she's like getting jerked around or whatever. So yeah, that was that was funny. And this is this is culture. This yeah. Is- that's what <laughs> they like, used to do years, thousands of yeah. years ago. Yeah, Clark, I'm ready to go home. I've had enough. I've had enough French culture. Another one of mine is uh, when he's using the translator while they're ordering the food in Paris, and the waiter is like, you know, speaking to him in a language. You see, read the subtitles. Is like, uh, he's, he's like, him. he's like, he's like, coke, cokes all around, and he's and he says, uh, "Ooh, two of our best champagne." And then he's like, "We'll just give you dirty dishwater. You'll never know the difference." You know, so this mm-hmm. that. Uh, that whole bit was really funny. I enjoyed that. Any other favorite scenes we want to talk about? Like he mentioned earlier, the guy getting hit on the bicycle and then yeah, you know, yeah. the blood yeah. spurting out. We talked about that. I always thought that was funny. You mentioned the part about the mix-up in the hotel. Mm-hmm. That was always funny. Uh, we talked about the long-distance call mm-hmm. for Audrey. 
She just wanted oh. to reach out, reach out and touch someone. That's yeah, all you know, they're, they're, oh. yeah, they're singing the jingles in the in the hotel room. Yeah, the television only has one channel. Yeah, the cheese. It's all cheese. Yeah, it's all cheese. That was funny. That um, was funny. Oh, and the Stonehenge. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The Stonehenge. <laughs> he backs into it. It all falls down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dominoes. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will say the TV scene is funny because I recently did a trip to Israel, my first like international trip. And we stayed in different hotels, but pretty much in every hotel, there would be only like five, even it was cable, it was only like five or six channels. Four of them would be in Hebrew or, you know, uh, Arabic, whichever one where we were, but there were, there was always a CNN in English and a Fox news in English. And then usually like either a history channel or like an ion with of reruns of CSI or NCIS <laughs> with in English with subtitles in Hebrew. So uh, that did make me laugh when he was going, it's all cheese. It's all cheese. So I was like, it's all CNN and Fox news. Like I can't, I, I left America to not listen to this stuff. Here it is. So, but. Uh, well, so you have ion television and my parents can go there. Cause that's all they, <laughs> that's all they watch. Yeah. yeah. Oh Yeah. Good old reruns of uh, NCIS. NCIS. Hey, who, who doesn't like LA. some Leroy Jethro Gibbs? Come on. There you go. There you go. For LL Cool J. So the only other scene I'll talk about, we're just briefly going to mention it because when I was watching today, this is the only scene that really, I was literally laughing out loud today. Other things I was laughing, but this one really got me was, and I think uh, Chris mentioned it earlier, Clark dancing at the beer fest in Germany. Mm. That whole scene <laughs> is so hilarious. And that's just in... Once again, that's just Chevy Chase being Chevy Chase. It's just him being goofy and doing the goofy dance moves and not knowing the choreography and then bumping into people. And then they keep slapping him and then he starts slapping them, punching them back. And it becomes (laughs) like this big fight. That scene was so funny to me today. I did. Maybe I was just in the mood for that type of humor, but it was it was fun. He always did physical humor. Well, and now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. 
So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. All right, well, let's, we'll get some scenes, some trivia, uh, may make us think of some other scenes as well. It's pretty well known that in this film, the name Griswold is spelled with an A, while in the other vacation movies, it's with an O for Griswold instead of Griswold. Hmm. Talk about vacation. You've got to put that piece of trivia in there. In an interview, Chevy Chase said that after the film was released, he got dozens of letters from people who had visited London and ended up getting trapped in a roundabout. Which I thought was perfect. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. We didn't talk about the the video camera getting stolen and of course the videotape yeah. being changed. Oh yeah. So but the literal translation of the Italian billboard featuring Ellen's half naked picture is the lady in the shower, which I know they get they put a different subtitle up there, but I thought that was fun. Not a whole lot of trivia for this one either. So that's mm. kind of pretty much there's a few other ones, but I'll put those in the show notes. So we'll talk about box office. So National Lampoon's European Vacation opened July 26, 1985 in North American theaters and grossed over $12 million its opening weekend, coming in at number one, number one at the box office. It's known for knocking Back to the Future off the top spot, which it had held for the previous three weeks. But Back to the Future regained the top spot the next week and stayed number one for the next eight weeks. So it was strong enough to... Bring Marty back to the present before it went back to the future. So I tried to make that uh, funny, but I need a rim shot right there. Rim shot right there. You try to make it work. <laughs> I tried. It's, it's, all you can do is try, man. Yeah. So critical reception, this one was not loved, as we talked about. Rotten Tomatoes has a 34% on the tomato meter and a 49% audience score. IMDb 6.2 out of 10 with viewers and a 47 on Metacritic. One of the few times that the tomato meter is actually less than Metacritic. So 34 and 47. This movie is not that bad. I'm sorry. It's it's not the best one, but it's not this terrible. Where would you guys put this one on your, your ranking? Like a 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10? 6 and a half. Okay. Out of 10, yeah. That's fair. Chris? I just give it a solid seven, I think, because it's got a lot okay. of parts that do make me laugh, but yeah. the overall movie just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I have it ranked as like a six, like between a six and a seven on my IMDb. So I'm kind of the same way. It's like it. There's enjoyable stuff in it. There's things that still make me laugh. There's classic bits, classic lines for the nostalgia that I want to go back and watch it. But overall, it's not one of my favorites uh, of the series for sure. But it is a fun one to watch. Still. All right. I think we've pretty much covered European vacation. The tour is coming to a close, but I thank you guys both for being a part of the show. Uh, Chris, you are part of retro life for you podcast, please. I know we have the ad running, but tell us about the show and what do you got coming up this summer on your show? Uh, it's uh, basically eighties and nineties movies. And occasionally we'll uh, get that wild hair, as we say, and throw in a seventies or two thousands <laughs> early. Mm-hmm. Early 2000s usually, but there and, you go. Yeah, but mostly 80s and 90s. And if I have to focus on one thing, I like to focus on the 80s. But I since I, I try to mix it up a little bit to give people more than just that. We just had, I want to say, The Fugitive. We just did The Fugitive, and oh, we've yeah. got Maverick coming up next. 
Is that the movie Maverick with? Uh, yes. Uh, oh, oh well, I'm sorry. I had to. Re- I forgot. Top Gun just came. No, out. No, 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 not uh, that one. Yeah. Right. About uh, the one with the Mel one Gibson. With, exactly. One yeah. with Mel Gibson doing that. Mm. And then after Maverick, I think we've got recorded already. Um, Master, yeah, Masters of the Universe with Dolph okay. Lundgren. Very cool. We, <laughs> yeah. We kind of touched on that one because you know the fun, the excitement, yet the disappointment at the same time. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So, but uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, if you uh, if you go to uh, www.retrolife the number four the letter u dot com, you can see all the episodes there and listen to them straight from the browser, or you can click on whatever link it's got there because it's got the links for Spotify and iTunes and Google and Amazon and all that good stuff. So, very cool. I'm looking forward to that one. That'll be a good one to to, to check out. So, but definitely check out Retro Life for You podcast. Chris has a great show. I'm been honored to be on the show a couple of times it's always a good time when i'm on there but i listen to a show as well and he has some great interviews i'm telling you this is the guy that gets the interviews that you want to listen to he's had go tell us some of the people you've had on the show already because they're going to be blown away i want to say i've been fairly lucky fairly fortunate (laughs) Um, but i've had uh diane franklin diane franklin thank you Hmm. uh we've had um catherine mary stewart uh, we had her back for a second time along with Lance Guest. We did a last Starfighter show. Yeah, that was awesome. We, t- we talked about that and a couple of other things with them. Um, we've had Lori Tucker, who did music videos in the 1980s. She's one of the teachers from the Hot for Teacher video, and she's done other things as well there. I've uh, had Keith Coogan from Adventures in Babysitting, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, as <laughs> well brother. as other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, okay. uh, he's, a, he's a lot of fun ones. Yeah. Um, Mark Anthony Austin, which you guys may not know, he, he's not really as much of an actor as he is a special effects guy, but he did get to put on the Boba Fett outfit in the 1997 re-release of Star Wars, the where they had the, the it was redone for mm-hmm. the color and all that good stuff. And I think they had some additional scenes and everything, so he got to do that plus two special effects on it as well. And there may be one or two more, but I'm oh yeah, uh, Patrick Laberto. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. he's the only the one I was I'm missing out on. So I played in Jag and played Little House on the Prairie. Had an uncredited role in um, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we talked about that before. That's yep. cool. So very yeah. good episodes, and some of those they, they can catch on YouTube as well, right? Some of them are on YouTube. Yes, not all of them. Uh, I need to get back to editing video. I haven't edited video in quite some time. We just mm-hmm. went straight audio because it got to be too much work, and <laughs> uh, I, I I just felt like I had to concentrate on one versus the other. Or I'm yeah. not going to get anything to take off. It felt like <laughs> so I stuck with the audio. It's easy. Yeah, yeah. But I'll eventually. I have them all on video still. I can. I can still upload them, and mm-hmm. they're all going to get uploaded eventually. Very cool. All right. Well, cool. Well, Chad, thanks for being a part as well. I know you do. You're working on your podcast. He's he's going to launch something pretty soon. So you'll we'll get the exclusive. You'll find out here first. I'm just kidding. We'll let him announce it. You 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 you'll get the uh, exclusive. <laughs> Uh, report there you go good deal but as we mentioned he's uh still doing stuff with uh family feud and you can catch him on the airwaves in the mcdonough georgia area there you go so so very cool to have you both on the show thank you guys so much for being a part uh thanks everybody for listening as we always say be sure to follow subscribe rate and review the show you can support the show through buymeacoffee.com you can also buy a t-shirt on the website www.80sflickflashback.com If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who loves 80s flicks and don't forget to follow us on social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. 
Thank you guys for joining. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. Don't forget, there's Big Ben, Parliament. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.